Thank you, worship team. I'd encourage you this morning to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to carry on in our series on prayer. Uh, I have been super blessed preaching this stuff. I hope that you have been encouraged and inspired and instructed from the scriptures regarding prayer. Do you feel or do you think that in your own personal prayer journey, there has been an element of strength come to you because of God's word regarding prayer? Do you believe that? Have you noticed any difference? I would ask you to ask the Lord, especially this morning, ask Him, Lord, teach me how to pray. In fact, if you've noticed in the Scriptures, that's the only time the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something. It was around His prayer life. Lord, teach us to pray like you do. Isn't that awesome? So it's a prayer that all of us can pray. Teach us to pray. You may think, oh, I've been praying for 40 years. I think I've got a handle on it. Don't kid yourself. There is always more in the kingdom when it comes to prayer. And this morning is no different. This morning we want to take a look at a prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Philippians, in the church in Philippi, in Philippi named the Philippians. And we're going to take a look at this prayer this morning and be instructed and inspired by it. But my prayer has been all week that you will be grounded even more in knowing the love of God which surpasses knowledge. So my prayer for us today is exactly that. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3. If you remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at it. That your knowledge will not only abound more and more in this love, but also that it will go past your knowledge, inspiring your heart to trust Him in your prayer life. Because I believe that, like, uh, you know, I've heard great saints, great preachers, I've read great books, great authors, who all say that the work of the church really is in the prayer room. And you're kind of like, okay. But we think, well, no, actually the work of the church is when we get out there and do stuff, Right? When we get out there with our hands and our feet and our voices and we we minister and we take care of the sick, we look after those who are hurting, we minister to one another in love. And yes, that is all part of it. But I would have to say I tend to agree with those who believe that our prayer is the initial, it's the foundation, it's the beginning of ministry. It comes from prayer. And so if you're struggling in your, in your walk with God, if you're, if you're thinking, well, I feel weak, I, I don't feel strong, I feel distant from God, well, then spend some time in His presence. If you're feeling that way about your best friend, or you're feeling that way about your relationship with your spouse, especially after Valentine's Day when you drop the ball, <laughs> the best thing to do is suck up. No, no, the best thing to do is... To get a little closer. To talk a little more. Would you agree? Well, maybe not with the illustration, but you might agree with the principle. That you want to make sure that if you feel distance from someone you care about, there's only one way to solve it. And that is to chat. To sit down and talk. To have a conversation. And this truly is the essence of prayer. 
And the same would be true for asking why, Lord. Why do I feel distant from you? Show me why. Show me in my life why I struggle with these things like worry and fear and depressiveness and despair. And, and I'm afraid. Help me. Help me. Show me. Talk to me. Inform me. That I may not just know more about what's going on inside myself, but also experience your love. There's nothing better than having your relationship restored. Agreed. Hey, that's just the sweetest thing on earth is when two people were at odds for a while and then suddenly it's restored. Oh, it's sweet. Your heart fills. It's good. It's a good thing. Nod with me if you think it's a good thing. <laughs> Are you worn out from worship this morning? <laughs> that was great. I just loved it. I was right into it. I lost myself there. <clears throat> I almost lost my voice. I was singing so loud. Well, it is commonly known, and it actually has been in many uh, like articles and journals and, and uh, medical journals about the health that comes to us when we pray. And that would be true across all religions. Praying has something in it. There's something about it. But I would say that even though people may pray to something else, it's only our prayer to a living God that makes a difference deep in the soul. It makes a difference deep in the soul. I read this as when I was studying for this. Prayer is not only valuable for its effectiveness. So when we pray, things happen, right? It is calming for the spirit. It is soothing to the troubled heart. It is a vital part of opening up the soul and the heart and mind to the flow of God's grace to the believer. That comes from the Anglican prayer book. Let me say it again. Prayer is not only valuable for its effectiveness in calming the spirit and soothing the troubled heart, but it also is a vital part of opening up the soul, heart, and mind to the flow of God's grace to the believer. So when you stop to pray, something is happening because you're connecting with the God of the universe. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and your Heavenly Father. Daddy. As the Scripture says, Abba, that tender kind of fatherly experience that you can have in His presence. And maybe some of you who lost your dads early in life, you may not be fully aware of that. Or maybe your dad's been distanced. Or maybe your dad's been, you know, uh, a jerk. It takes time for the true Father of Heaven to deal with those issues that come from that. But eventually, you'll be able to sense His love. Feel it. Experience His love. And out of that will flow all kinds of love for others. Good, healthy, solid love. And that's what we want in church. We want it for our community. We want them and each other to feel that love, to sense the love, to know that love through the sacrifices that we make. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. So, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. If you don't know where that is, look in the table of contents near the beginning of the Bible. And then run your finger through to the New Testament part. And then you'll find that there's a book called Philippians. And then from there, flip to that page number. And then after you found that page, every book in the Bible is divided by chapters and verses. 
So we're going to take a look at chapter 1. And we're going to skip down to verse 3. Read that. Verse 3 to 6. And then we're going to skip a little bit and go, back and go down to verses 9 through 11. Okay? So just give you a second to find it. Remember, if you're lost, where do you go? Some of you are older in the faith. Where do you go? Table of contents. Good. All right. Now, to set the stage for you, the church at Philippi was full of ex-military families. Do you know that? So most of them were Roman citizens in high regard because of their service in the military. And so the emperor gave them properties, and that was usually around cities like this one. So you can imagine the gospel's effect on the folks who were that kind of caliber of person. Alright, they'd probably been to battle. They'd probably seen some things that no human being should ever see. They were probably scarred. They were broken. They were hurting. And as you go through this book of Philippians, it's known as the book of joy because probably this church struggled with joylessness. They had seen way too much of what this world is like. Are you with me? Hello? Anybody here? <laughs> seen just a little too much of what this world can be like? Do you carry the scars? Do you carry the disappointments? Do you carry the sorrows? Do you carry the bumps and bruises and sadness? Do you carry the marks in your body? Maybe your body is breaking down. Maybe you've had issues. Maybe you're going for surgery this week. Right, Grandma? Yeah. Maybe you've lost a loved one. The story in their souls, it seems like forever. Oh, Lord God, come and minister in the name of Jesus. This grace, this mercy, this compassion, this love to our souls, to our hearts, our minds, our emotions. Oh, Lord, guide us now as we look into this word. Flower it for us. Show us what you want us to know so that we can know this joy. We can experience your love again, fresh and new and full. Come now, lead us by your spirit into truth that is so juicy and helpful and wonderful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's start at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge 
and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Amen. What a prayer. What a prayer. It is just dripping with goodies. And we want to get into it. So let's, let's discover this. First of all, because they were a joyless church, a church that was struggling with joy, and probably for many, many reasons. Paul mentions the word joy 16 times, or rejoice. In fact, at one point he even mentions rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Because he so wants these beautiful believers who are downtrodden, who are beaten up, who carry scars, like all of us. He so wants them to know the joy of God in their everyday experiences. Do you want that for yourself? Not only that, is it not only amazing that when he begins his prayer, I thank my God for every time I remember. Well, that made sense. The context of the book is the fact that the Philippians had sent him a gift. So that's the context, right? So, hey, thank God for your gift. Woo! That's helpful to me. That's going to carry me through. But he was also in need of that gift because he was in jail. He was in prison. And so the Philippians heard about this. They said, well, we've got to help him out. So they sent a gift. And he has received that gift. And he is thanking his God every time he remembers them. For all of you, I always pray. This is not just because of the gift now. I pray with joy. Now, if you just want to pause for a moment. There may have been some confusion about this. Because, why is he praying with joy when he's chained to a guard in a jail? Under house arrest. Why is he full of joy? How can he be full of joy in those conditions? How? Well, that's a good question if you asked it already, but if you're sitting in that church and this letter is being read to you, it just came from, you know, fresh mail from Paul in prison, thankful for the gift. Yeah, that makes sense. But I always pray with you, pray for you with joy. Well, that's a curious statement. And so I want to just unpackage that a little bit for us here. I believe that in this day and age, we have Many reasons to struggle with depression. And in this day and age, we have many reasons to be feeling debilitating fears. There are lots of evil things going on. And we can become quickly overwhelmed, even angry, even vengeful even. Right? Sometimes I think we have become overwhelmed with worries. We're worried for ourselves. We're worried for health. We're worried about doing things right. We're worried about finances. We're worried about our children. We're worried about our health. And the worries just stack up and stack up and stack up in the soul. And even though we pray about them, we don't feel deliverance. I believe that we face excessive levels of stress in this day and age. Broken down families, broken relationships, broken children who we long for with all our hearts to come right. 
But we can't do a thing about it. And so our lives are filled with stress. Even financially. Or in our marriages. Or in all the relationships we have. Stress levels are just bursting out the serm, at the seams. And it creates a lot of anger. It creates a lot of frustration in relationships. This is the day we live in. If there was ever a day when we need to learn how Paul could be so full of joy, this is the day. This is the day. Now we know that we have been saved. God has saved us by His great grace. Through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of God has been provided to all of us who believe. If you're here this morning and you've never asked God to forgive your sins, He will do that for you in an instant when you ask in the name of Jesus. When you offer up yourself in repentance and say, I don't want that anymore, I want what you got. It sounds too good to be true, but it is real. He will forgive your sins. And the scripture says, He will remove them as far from the you as the east is from the west. He will bury them in the deepest sea. And then somebody else added, and he puts up a sign that says, no fishing. That's, that's not in the Bible. Folks, He has saved you. If anybody has reason to rejoice just in that fact alone, it's us. He saved us. Hallelujah. He saved us. Well, that's not the end of it, though. He also has saved us from the power of sin. The the power that we have within us by the Holy Spirit is actually more powerful than the temptations and the sins that we want to face and we want to do and we want help with. His power in us is a part of that salvation. That means, literally, that you can be set free because Christ has come to set you free from the power of sin. Now, what is the power of sin? Well, obviously, the first thing the power of sin is, is the sin of, the, uh, the power of death. Would you agree? He has set us free from the power of death. Well, does that mean that we won't die? It might. You know, maybe at 3.15 this afternoon, he's going to return. Hallelujah, somebody smile. Wouldn't that be something? Hey, the trumpet sounds, the sky cracks. Woo! We hit the deck. He's coming. Now, that's in, his, that's in this prayer too, so I'll get to that. I don't want to waste my energy on this one right now. But the power of death has been conquered. The, the wages of sin is death. That power has been broken. You've been given resurrection life. That even though you die physically, yet you will live, Jesus said. And it's a powerful life that cannot be destroyed. It is literally indestructible. And you carry that inside of you. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Someone give me an amen. amen. This is what you carry in you. Like a little old bucket. Right? This power. And if you struggle with a sin, you have power, together with all the saints really, but you have power with the Holy Spirit within you to conquer that sin. And it's important that you see that in vision with the church around you. You know, I was saying to Cheryl today, one of the first signs that sin is getting the upper hand is what? You distance yourself from the fellowship. You remove yourself from that fire. Hey, you stay home, you find something else to do, you give yourself 20 excuses why you can't be here. That's usually the first sign that sin is getting an upper hand. And so folks that are here, if we notice somebody that's normally sitting beside you, because we tend, we, t- we tend to sit in sort of the same places, right Harry? 
I mean, that thing's got your imprint on it. Hey, you paid for that chair. Yeah, and you're getting your money's worth. I love it. If I'm in that row with Harry, and suddenly Harry's been gone for a couple of weeks, well, I've got to find out why. Hey, why? How you doing? We missed you. Oh, I've been on holidays. Excellent. I picked on Harry because Harry and both him and Sheila, whenever they're going to go away or whenever they're not going to be here, they always let us know. Isn't that great? That's because fellowship is so important to them. And it is true even in this dynamic as we think of prayer in saving power, the power over sin. Now, there's another part of salvation that hasn't quite yet come. It's the part that I've mentioned, and it is freedom from the presence of sin. Someday, folks, hallelujah, we are going to walk streets of gold, no more crying. Can anybody relate to that? No more suffering, no more sickness, no more dying, no more pain, no more suffering. Come on, rejoice, people of God. Hallelujah. And again I say rejoice. You know what? Sin has a shelf life. Hallelujah. Wickedness and evil have a shelf life. God knows when it is. And one day we will be set free from it. Hallelujah. If anybody should have a spring in their step, it should be who? Us. And yet, and yet, in everyday living, I know, Pastor Kevin, this sounds so good, but where I'm at and what I'm going through, are you kidding me? No, I'm not. He wants you to know this stuff. Not just in your head, in your heart. He wants you to feel His presence. For in the presence of the Lord there is joy forevermore. His presence. So when you bow your heads and you enter His presence, there's joy there. It's going to rub off. It's going to rub off. So if you don't want to be happy or filled with joy or feel that sense of joy in your heart and soul and mind, then for goodness sakes, don't pray. Because you can stay miserable as long as you want. Or you can get into His presence. You can seek His heart. You can go after Him hard, like a deer thirsty in a desert place. Hungering, panting, thirsting for more of God. If you're like that, you're going to find joy. You're going to find it in His presence. That's why Paul can be so full of joy, even in prison. Even in prison. And he wants these Philippians to break loose from their sorrow, stresses, sadnesses, the struggles that they have, the fears, the chaos, the loneliness, whatever it is they're facing. He wants them to break free from that stuff. In the presence of God, they will find his joy. Now, that's, all the, that's not all we're going to find. I remember a time when I was in Eastern Europe in Hungary, <clears throat> back when it was still communist. I went into this church, and I was a bit foolish, obviously. I was only 20 two or three, and uh, I was joking around, as usual, and I tried to make light in one of the meetings at this church, and it fell flat. I mean, it went, not just fell flat, it went below the surface of the ground. It fell. And I could just suddenly realize, this church is depressed. And so, we started to ask around, well, what's happening in this church? Why? Why is there is this such a heavy place? Why, why are you guys all downcast? Why is your faces so low? And a story began to unravel that they had been persecuted by the government. 
that the government had taken their children, and though they had expressed an interest or were good at something, like music or doctoring or whatever, they had taken those children and put them into work camps. And so, some of them found that all their hope was gone, and several suicides had taken place in that church. Just before we came, it was only a church of maybe a hundred. Hardship can come to any church. Hardship has come to this church. It still lingers in some of the corners, in the shadowy places. It's still there, waiting to pounce on you if you let it. I love this definition of joy. All we could do, by the way, for that church was just to pray for them and enter into their sorrow. There was nothing else we could do. Which is not saying that we didn't do much when we prayed. It's just saying that's all we could manage. The other thing that happened to me there is that I, I remember thinking, I am so blessed. I come from a church full of people who love me, put up with my shenanigans and think I'm going to be great someday. That was quite a lesson for me. But I love this definition of joy. Listen to this. Joy is a feeling in the soul. It's a feeling. Did you know that? Joy is a feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit, not because you want it, but because He is there to give it to you. It's produced there as fruit. Remember Galatians 5, what is it? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. When the eyes of the heart are opened to see and reveal, the gl- and revel in rather the glory of Jesus, in his word and in his activity in the world around us, then joy happens. It's a feeling in the soul, not in your emotions. Now it will affect your emotions. It will affect you, strength, Courage comes from joy, correct? It will affect you, but originally it's not a feeling. Sorry, it's not in your emotions, it's in your soul. It's a feeling that comes from the soul. The part of you that is directly connected to God by His Holy Spirit. That's joy. So then, because of that, it does not matter whatever it is you are facing, that joy will never leave because the Holy Spirit will never leave you. He is there with you through everything. And so you can connect with this joy by just simply connecting to the Lord. Asking the Spirit of God to reveal Him to you. Let me see Jesus. Ah, there He is. Ah, I can feel stress leaving. I can feel my muscles relax. Oh, I can, I can take a deep breath. Maybe just do that now. Just maybe everybody sit up straight for a second and... Take a deep breath. Come on. You need some oxygen. This is getting a long sermon already. Take a deep breath. Now exhale. Really, intentionally. Take a deep breath. Now the joy of the Lord in your soul, deep in your soul, He's there. He's there.
I hope for a brief second there, you may have been shocked to feel. Ooh, I feel something there. Maybe you're not. That's okay. Keep after it. Don't stop. Keep going hard after this. Right out of the gates, Paul throws out this beautiful teaser in joy. And it sure must have just driven them a little bit like, what's he on about? And then he goes, this is what happens. When you are joyless, something else happens. You lose confidence. So he's full of joy, and he prays for them always with joy. And then he says, being confident. This is like, at this moment, verse 6, being confident of this, that he will begin a good work and you will carry it through to completion. God is not finished with me. Amen. Thank you, Sandra. I was looking for that. God is not finished with me. And look at your neighbor. He is not finished with them either. He's not finished. (laughs) You can turn to your neighbor and say, he's not finished with you. Come on. He's not finished with you. Because we can be confident that he is going to pursue this thing. Joy breeds confidence. That feeling of joy breeds confidence, not in yourself, but in the fact that he will continue his good work, his good work of salvation, his good work of love in your spirit, in your soul, in your body. He will continue to bring it to bear in your life. All he wants from you is cooperation. So you need to give up your pride and you think you're strong. (laughs) You're not. The Bible says you are not strong, except in the Lord. You're strong in the Lord, but not in your own flesh. You are weak. Oh, come on, Pastor. Yeah, I am weak. You are weak. And when you're weak, you are not fun to be around. When I am weak, I'm really not fun to be around. I am weak in my flesh, but in my soul, in my spirit, where the Holy Spirit is, I have confidence in His power to complete the work of salvation. And He's just looking for some cooperation. I will cooperate. Hallelujah. So in your prayer, offer it up. Oh Lord, I am confident of this, that You have begun a good work in me, and You will carry it on to completion. Somebody say Amen. Yeah, you can pray that for yourself so your brain hears it. Pray it out loud so your ears hear it. And pray it so your heart begins to believe it. And your soul will touch heaven and you will know some joy. A little drop. There it goes. Oh, here it goes. It's going to plop right into your soul. It will happen because God is causing it to happen. So if you feel incomplete, if you feel unfinished then you know the truth, because that's true. You are unfinished. You are (laughs) half-baked. I just had to throw that out there. Uh, Please remember, not only for yourself, because if you remember this for yourself, you'll be much easier to remember it for those who are around you, who hurt you, or say something nasty, or ignore you or whatever oh yeah right that's right they're incomplete that's right just like I'm incomplete he's incomplete too yeah 
Thankfully, there's a finish date for this too. Just like there's an end date for sin, a shelf date for the end of sin and evil. Well, there's a good date coming for us too. And that's what I was talking about. Maybe at 3 o'clock this afternoon, he's going to come back. Well, before I finished. Wouldn't that be nice? Right? You see, he can come back because he's God. He can send his son right now if he wants to. And that will not only be the end of sin, but that will also be the end of my struggle. You see, there's a shelf life for that too. Hallelujah. My brothers and sisters who were persecuted because of what they believed in and still are to this day in many parts of the world, you know what they hang on to? They hang on to that. This isn't forever. If they kill me now, it's gain because I will be in the presence of God. Hallelujah. You see what I mean? That's a way to think about life. It's gain for me to die. He says that later in Philippians. It's gain. Because I get to go be with the Lord. But then he has a struggle inside himself. Should I go? Because I really love you folks too and I want to help you as much as I can. So I'm kind of stuck. So I guess as long as God gives me breath, I'm going to keep helping you out. And then when I die, it's gain. What a great way to live. What a, what a great posture to go through life with. Hmm. I love this part. In verse 9 he says, And this is my prayer, that your love, that word love is agape. So, it's not about their love, you know, the stuff that we produce. It's agape. So it actually is your love that comes from God. If you, if you complete the thought. It's not in English, but that's what it means. Your love, this love that God put in you, may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Oh, people of God, hear this carefully. Hear this beautifully. Inside you is a ministry that's going on of God's great agape love. It is so profound, so high, so deep, so wide, so aggressive that God wants you to know about it because He says you pray in Ephesians 3. Pray and ask that the Holy Spirit reveal to you this love, which per, which, that you would know this love rather, that surpasses knowledge. You see, it goes around your head, it goes directly to your heart, and it affects how you feel. It's your emotions He wants healed too. Salvation is not just for your soul, and it's not just for your physical body, it is for those things, but it's also for the inner working of God to deal with your fear. Fear is a big one. In fact, fear is so big, God says many times, like hundreds of times, fear the Lord. If you're going to fear something, fear Him. Get your eyes on Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord, what? Helps us understand His greatness, like we were singing about today. Thank you for the song selection. The fear of the Lord helps me understand. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. It's the beginning of understanding His awesomeness. But instead, we have another fear that runs through our veins. And that fear is paralyzing fear. It's a fear that you'll lose. It's a fear of being found out. It's a fear of being exposed. It's a fear of punishment. It's a fear of all kinds of things. The list could be endless. What are you afraid of? God wants to deal with that fear and take it to the cross and nail it there. Hallelujah. So that He never comes haunting you again. Would you like that? Come on now. One person in this room would like that. I heard one amen. amen. And I got a two. 
Come on, it's starting to grow. I hear some rumbling. Would you like to be set free from your fears? Then this is how you do it. You pray for yourself according to this passage. Verse 9, I pray, O God, that Your love will abound in me more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That means down in the soul. Let it grow. Let it grow. Let God's amazing love grow. Amen. Amen. Woo! And if you get stuck, then you go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and you pray this prayer. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and high and deep and love uh, and wide and high and long the love of Christ is. And to know this love, agape love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. His presence in us. And the presence of the Lord is full of what? What's it full of? Joy forevermore. Hallelujah. If you're struggling with your emotions, folks, listen to me carefully. I am not a psychologist, but I don't need to be. All I need to do is read this and begin to understand it. If you struggle with your emotions, then you take them to the cross and you submit them to Jesus and you ask Him for this prayer. That my love, that your love, O oh God, may abound more and more in my spirit. Let it rule my emotions. Let it heal my emotions. Let it take over my emotions. I submit them to you, O oh God. I feel afraid. I feel depressed. I feel whatever I'm feeling. But I surrender it to your love. May your love abound more and more to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is so important. I'm just talking about a few things here. Fear, shame, guilt, worry, anxiety. Is that going to keep going? It's what? Oh, it's in a bag? Okay. We'll wait. Thank you. All right. Worry, anxiety. God can take care of these things. They are attached to your emotions. He can deal with them with His abounding love. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He will set you free. But you've got to come to Him. Jesus said, if you love the Lord your God... No, not if. When. <laughs> this is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as... Yourself. If you have a healthy self-love, if you understand who you are in His presence, then you will be set free to agape, to sacrificial love, anyone else around you. Because you know it's that love that has set you free. That's what set you free. That love. Hallelujah. Pray this prayer as often as you can. So that, verse 10, so that you can discern what is best. So you know how to make a good decision. How, what is even best not only for me? So sometimes I need self-talk. Right? Sometimes I need to tell myself, Smart up. Why am I worried? I don't need to worry about this. I'm going to just hand it over to the king. Or if my soul is down, I ask the question of my soul like David did so many times. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Yet I will hope in God. I will hope in the Lord. He changed the tune. He changed the radio station. You can do that. 
And you may have to do it over and over and over and over and over. And then when you finally start to feel it's getting together, it happens again. So you do it over and over and over. You keep going back to the well. Because that's where the water is for your thirsty soul. You keep going back. This should help us in every single day discern what is best. Not only for me, but now for you. I can discern what's best out of love for you as my sister in Christ. And I can speak the truth to you in love. And I can hold you and encourage you in love. Hey, all in agape love. Because it so has reached my core, I am now free to give it away. Does that sound like a Christian life you could live? I need to hear more than just a couple of yeses. Come on now. I'm trying to get you guys fired up. It's kind of slow working today. <laughs> Jesus said this. A new commandment I give to you. What is it? I got pay one another. Sacrifice for each other. How? Just as I have a God paid you. See, that's the new part. It's an old commandment. Nothing's new about saying love each other. It comes right out of the Old Testament, in fact. But the new part is, as I have agaped you, now you go, you take what I put in your soul, and you give it away. Because it's healing to your soul. Imagine, it'll be healing to their souls. Come on now. This is what fellowship is. This is why we need each other. We can discern what is best. And then, (laughs) we may be pure and blameless. I love this. There's no mixed motives in this love. If I am willing to sacrifice for you, if I'm willing to lay down my life for you, where is the mixed motive? Right? If I'm willing to do that for you, and you're willing to do that for me, is there a mixed motive in that somewhere? Because... What's the alternative? You're dead. Right? It eliminates mixed motives. It eliminates loving you so I can get a stroke on the back. Hey, you're such a good guy. Thanks, buddy. Pat on the back. Now, it's not wrong to do that, of course. But I shouldn't be looking for that. That will tarnish the love that's in my soul. That'll mix it with some pride and some flesh. And it will become mixed rather than pure. And then not blameless. It's got, a, it's got a problem. It needs to be solved. And you've got to go back to the cross and ask, why did I feel so good when I got some glory out of that? Why? That's a good question to ask your soul. Ask your heart. Why did you feel so good about so-and-so saying all those kind words about you? That was a little too good. If you know what I mean, Kevin. Yeah, I know what you mean, Lord. Blameless. I can minister to you in blamelessness. In fact, it will mean that when Christ returns, I I do this until the day He comes again. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Hallelujah. Filled with the fruit of righteousness, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It just keeps going. This is the fruit of righteousness in your soul. That God wants to grow. You don't have to grit your teeth and flex your muscles and grunt and groan like they do in new tennis matches. I hate watching that when they do the... And they smash the tennis ball. I hate that part. They could do it just as effective without all that noise. 
Or so I think. But we don't have to make those noises. Because if you go to an orchard, we used to live in the Okanagan, there is no noise coming from those trees and they're producing fruit just fine. We do not have to grit our teeth and groan and, and, and you know, sour up our faces and scrunch up trying to produce fruit. No. The fruit of righteousness will fill us. Right? It will fill us. Hallelujah. Until, oh, it, that comes through Jesus Christ. So he's the one who gives it to us. We don't have to earn it. Hallelujah. He gives it to us. Until when? Until he comes for his glory and for his praise. Now, if we pray that prayer, I believe, I believe, for me, I believe this, for me, I believe it for you too, because it's from the scripture. If you begin to pray that prayer, Philippians chapter 1, 3 to 6 and 9 to 11. If you begin to put that on your regular prayer pattern, you'll begin to experience the healing of joy. The healing power of joy, you'll begin to experience. You'll begin to know it. And you'll also know when it's not there. And you'll know, uh oh, I gotta get back in the closet. I gotta pursue this thing again. Something else got in the way. And you live with this vibrant relationships like, like my wife and I have, like you have with good friends, like we have with other people, right? This vibrancy of relationship. We can sense when something's not quite right. And so we go to our knees and we say, oh, Lord, what is it? Show me. Help me. Reveal to me. I want to know the joy of the Lord. I want to overcome this fear. I just made three decisions out of fear rather than out of love. Out of love. I'm swamped today with worry. Oh God, take care of this worry in your love. Abound to love to me, oh God. I feel guilty and shameful. Oh God, I confess my sin. Remove it from me as far as the east is from the west. Bury it in the deepest sea and I won't go fishing. Oh God, heal me. Take away my, my fishing rod. I believe what you say. I am forgiven. Shame and guilt be gone in Jesus' holy name. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me. You see, when you get into the closet and you pray that way, it doesn't take long for your heart to begin to fill. (sighs) Taking a deep breath with me again. Come on, take a deep breath. Sit up in your chair. Take a deep breath. Come on now. Pray out. When you breathe out, pray this. Oh, Lord, may your love abound in me more and more. Come on, pray it out. Oh, love may, oh Lord, may your love abound in me more and more. Let it out. This is a living, breathing relationship that we can have with the King. And He wants us to have that so much. In just a minute, the band is going to come. I'm going to encourage you to come, team. Lead us in worship. If you feel a little overwhelmed right now, and this is where the power of prayer with other people, prayer with a prayer team or an elder, a good friend, this is where prayer can really make a difference. I I want to open up the front to whoever may need some prayer. We have prayer team members here. We have elders here. We have Pastor Alex, myself. We're available here. So after I come up and we dismiss as a church, if you want to come forward just to be alone with God, if you just want to kneel at the altar, if you want to sit in a chair, if you want to grab a Kleenex, there used to be a whole bunch of Kleenexes, there's one there. If God is touching your soul, you know, there's one. If God is touching your soul and you just need some time, come on up here.
I think it's a good thing for us to pray this over each other. So I'm going to instruct our elders, I'm going to instruct our prayer teams to pray this prayer over those who come. Nothing fancy, nothing flashy. Just pray it over those who come. Does that make sense? Because I think that's the way we can appropriate this, is that we begin to make sure it's woven into our souls as we journey on with Jesus. Amen.